football poop is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. As a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PFL. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. Welcome into the PFF NFL Podcast. Steve Palazzolo back here with Sam Monson. It's time to preview all, with all things, week 15 in the NFL. Stumbling through it, Sam, but I'm not going to stumble through the monkey knife fight read. Everybody's been hearing it. All first-time depositors over at Monkey Knife Fight that put at least $20 into their account while using the promo code PFF will receive a free PFF Edge annual subscription. That's $40 of value, Sam, for just 20 bucks, and you get the opportunity to turn that 20 Prove yourself by playing daily fantasy and prop games at one of the fastest-growing fantasy sports sites in the USA. It's Monkey Knife Fight. So go to Monkey Knife Fight, deposit your 20 bucks, use the promo code PFF. Do it today, receive your free PFF Edge annual subscription. My suggestion, the PFF Draft Guide's coming out very, very soon. That's part of Edge Annual, so if you want to just get that for 20 bucks, this would be the, the time to do it. Edge Annual, Monkey Knife Fight. Also, don't forget, you can subscribe to PFF Elite Annual by using the promo code ACTION to receive the Elite subscription plus one year of Action Pro subscription access for just that $199.99. Action Pro is Action Network's premium subscription offering tailor-made to make Avid and new betters better. This is a limited-time offer, and that is currently only made available now through Super Bowl 55, February 7th. 2021 this offer also only applies to first-time elite annual subscribers all right sam let's get into all the week 15 action it's a full slate we're back again with every single team playing starting thursday night football los angeles chargers at the las vegas raiders you can talk now sweet excellent i've been waiting biding my time just waiting for my moment to pounce they want to do we want to do our reads at the beginning yeah so everybody can hear them and then now you're you're allowed it's your turn thank you where are we going first? Thursday night, Los Chargers. Angeles Chargers. Chargers Raiders. Las Vegas Raiders in Vegas. Yeah. Vader, uh, Raiders? Whoa. Huh. Vegas Raiders by three as of uh, record time here. Yeah. Um, which seems fair, right? The Raiders have been struggling recently. They've stumbled through a few games. They've basically thrown away their chances of the playoffs more than likely. And the Chargers are still the Chargers. You know, they'll find a way to mess up on special teams or just not run a play or whatever it is they do on a weekly basis that just makes a mockery of, of them. Is this an absolute shootout? It could be, right? The first time around, we had the uh, Raiders win 31-26. to 26. The Chargers had that fade that wasn't. Fade for a game-winning touchdown. It looked like a game-winning touchdown, but it wasn't. Right. Uh, neither defense played very well. I think we might see more of that. Or if you've already seen it, hopefully you had a nice, exciting Thursday night football game to watch. But yeah, with Derek Carr and the Raiders, got to be aggressive. Keep chucking it down the field. You know, you got to make your move here in these last few games, trying to make a playoff push. Their uh, win probability has dwindled, however. Uh, their playoff probability, the Raiders, has dwindled over these last few weeks due to um losing 
losing. <laughs> yes. And look, I still, you know, the Chargers are better than better than their record shows. But are they? Still, yeah. Are they? Though? As a team, like they at this are. point, are they not just just a mess? Uh, they have to be better than that. They are four and nine, but um, I think it'll be a decent game for the Raiders. If nothing else, okay, the playoffs may have gone at this point. Certainly, their chances have really slipped. Um, they just need to finish well, right? Just to prove that okay, we had a blip in the middle. We weren't quite quite ready for prime time of of the playoffs next year next year will be the year because we just had a blip if they actually just collapsed in the second half of the season and it was no no this team is only good in september and october and then in the two more important months rolling into the playoffs they just cease to function as an offense or as a team that would be concerning and they obviously made a move in firing their defensive coordinator I don't know if that's going to make any difference but this team just needs to bounce back and show that they're actually capable of playing still Stat of the week last week, the Raiders pressured Phillip Rivers once. Yeah. One time, 3% of his dropbacks, the the lowest percentage in the NFL in a game this year. So the pass rush is still an issue for the Las Vegas Raiders. Anyway, I think it'll be a good game. I think it'll be an exciting Thursday night game. Hope you enjoyed it if you already saw it. Let's get to uh, the rest of the games this weekend, the Sunday games. And we got Saturday football yeah. this week, too. So there's Saturday games. It's just football all weekend. The biggest games of the weekend, we'll start there. Kansas City Chiefs at the New Orleans Saints. Chiefs are favored by three. There's no timetable for Drew Brees' return for the Saints. I think, Sensibly. Yes. All Sean Payton has said is we need him to be 100%. And just based off those comments, I don't know. I mean, it's not this week. I don't even know if that's next week for Brees and the Saints. And then we get into, is it week 17? Well, particularly... Is it the play, is it a wild card playoff week? Yeah. Particularly if the number one seed is gone, right? Or if it disappears, if it starts to fade. Um, there's no reason to pull them back before the playoffs. Like, at all. You know, you're going to make it. All the difference is a seeding. And to be honest, I'm not sure that makes any difference outside of number one. So at that point, what difference does it make? Like, wait until he's actually 100% healthy coming off the 11 broken ribs so that when you're in the playoffs, he's going to function again. Now, some people had some questions. I do read the YouTube comments a little bit. So shout out to all of our Big mistake. YouTube viewers. I like you guys. Um, they did say, well, the, of course the number two seed matters because you get home games. Now, your point has been that the home, the home games don't matter as much in the NFL these days. However, I'm, you know, my dome analysis all the time, not that the Saints can't win on the road. They've shown that they can win on the road. That's fine other than last week but for drew Brees to have success just just the baseline of what the quarterback's going to do he does perform better in the dome he plays better in in coming off the rib injuries i think you want him indoors so there is value in the two seed or the three seed or the ability to play an indoor game even if you're not getting the bye if you're the saints maybe compared to other teams not as much like the bucks are an outdoor team and they've actually played better on the road a lot of times so certain teams it might not matter but I think for the Saints, it still matters. Like, you want the comfort of the Dome. So they need, you know, I think they need to win games. What's their best bet now against Kansas City? Who we, you know, we, uh, if you guys want to hear our analysis on can anybody beat the Chiefs, that's part of the PFF NFL Daily from earlier this week. You can go and binge listen to all of them. Can anybody beat the Kansas City Chiefs? Can the Saints beat the Kansas City Chiefs? And what's that going to take this weekend with the Taysom running the show? Right, with Taysom Hill, a quarterback. Um 
it's going to take that game that I keep talking up as like theoretically possible, but just never even come, comes close to happening when Baltimore faced the Chiefs, right? This idea of actually ball control, chewing the clock, just taking an insane amount of time every time you have the ball, right? Every Saints drive needs to be a 12-play, nine-minute drive where you just chew up the entire clock and Kansas City doesn't have the ball very often. And then if your defense steals a, steals a possession, forces them out once, right, Make, makes them punt the ball, suddenly you can, like, swing the entire half in your direction. And then you do that twice, you've won a game. You do it once, the Chiefs blitz you for 28 points in the fourth quarter, and it didn't matter. But these are the margins of facing the Kansas City Chiefs, as, you know, Miami showed last week. I will say, I think lost in the loss. Lost in the loss. Lost in the whole mix. We've, we'll talk about Jalen Hurts in a minute. Another PFF Daily segment was on Jalen Hurts and how he didn't actually throw the ball all that well against the Saints. The Saints have done a good job against opposing passing attacks this season. They've they've held, you know, Tom Brady has really struggled against them. They've held pretty good quarterbacks down. You know, Matt Ryan has had massive struggles. That passing attack has not uh, fared well against the Saints. Uh, the Packers had success earlier in the year, but the Saints, since the first three or four games have been really good defensively against the pass. Of course, the Kendall Hinton game, but that doesn't count. Hmm. They were good stopping the pass last week. I don't know, like, how how much success are the Chiefs going to have against this against this Saints secondary in, in their defense that has played well overall. Don't So lost in the loss against the Eagles is the Saints, Saints D is still legit. So they could keep it tight against the Chiefs. Yeah. But it's, it's in the dome, Sam. So Mahomes is going to throw into Tyreek about 80 yards. But that's why I think the key is that ball control offense, right? Just limiting the amount of time the Chiefs have the ball because if you can steal, you don't need to like shut them down, right? You don't need to cause that offense to have a disaster of a day and limit them to, you know, a couple of, you just need to be able to stop them for a drive or two if you can execute. Like if your offense can chew up a ton of time and score, all you need to do is to have your defense show up for one or two drives in the game, force the Chiefs to punt, to kick it away and if you've taken enough time off the clock you are in good shape now I think the Baltimore Ravens have always been better equipped to do that than the Taysom Hill led Saints but it's the same theory right I don't I mean put it this way I don't think they can win or even hang with the Chiefs if this gets into just an insane shootout so that has to be the only game plan right it's the only thing that could work if we come out of this with a Saints victory, it's going to probably because be because of that. We're going to come out saying or Sean turnovers, Payton. like well, just of a, course absurd the, turnover luck bouncing in their direction. Turnover luck, or hey, Sean Payton had a great game plan. Taysom Hill executed it. They held the ball. They had those fifteen play drives. Cut down on a couple, a couple drives for the Chiefs. Anytime Mahomes plays indoors, though, I'm like, man, this is what you kind of like open up an extra ten to fifteen yards of. Uh, of turf that needs to be covered, especially with Tyree Kill. It is interesting, though, that this is only a three-point line because when you look at it, you're like, I mean, wow, how do, the, how do the Saints hang with the Chiefs in this, along with everybody, right? And it's Vegas at least thinks it's close. I think that's why my point, my point is people sleeping on the Saints' defense just a touch just because, well, they lost to a rookie quarterback last week. Yeah, I think that, you know, there was an 82-yard touchdown run. I think they're just sleeping on the Saints' D just a little bit. There was a lot of Chiefs talk on the PFF Daily, so... Travis Kelsey has been incredible this year. We talked about him on the Daily today. Go check that out. If you guys haven't subscribed to the PFF Daily, I like to tell you, just pause the podcast really quick. Go click subscribe. I think you're going to like it. It's a little bit more 
quick hitting, one topic. We go back and forth. We get 10 minutes on the Offensive Player of the Year today and why Travis Kelsey is the – you almost talked me into Travis Kelsey on the show. So go check it out. But I still think Chiefs are the best team in the NFL. The three-point spread, I'm going to lean Chiefs here. Uh, it's We might see fireworks with Mahomes, Tyreek, with Kelsey, what they can do. Um, I am interested to see if the Saints defense does keep it close. But again, keeping it close is like the Dolphins did a nice job of keeping it close last week and you still yeah. give up 30. So I'm expecting 30 again from the Chiefs against the Saints here. And it's going to be tough for the Saints to match that the other way. Exactly. All right, let's go to the Philadelphia Eagles now, who we had talked about <clears throat> at the Arizona Cardinals. So where, where do you think the buzz is on Jalen Hurts? What are you getting? What vibes are you getting from Jalen Hurts' first start here? Oh, I think it's high. I think people I think people were already pretty enamored with Jalen Hurts before he ever saw the field. And I think the way George <laughs> him, you know, making some big plays with his legs, not taking a sack, doing there's a few things that are there to like, and of course winning the game unexpectedly, all feed into that narrative. So yeah, I think the buzz there was already a lot of buzz surrounding Jalen Hurts anyway, and I think it only went up after that game. So another one that we talked about on the daily, what's you know Jalen Hurts, his first performance, and 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 what it means. The PFF passing grade was low. I mean, he was he had a forty passing grade. It was the second lowest grade from any Eagles quarterback this season. Of course, behind Carson Wentz, who had started every other game. Who was the fifth best grade in the NFC East that week? Right. So the buzz is probably a little bit too high. The point I wanted to get to was that Vegas. So we're we're haters because of this generally, right? For you know, being the wet blanket of, of reason after after one, you know, win. Vegas has Arizona by by six and a half. Yeah. So the narrative is that haters. What's that? Haters. They're haters as well. Yeah. Vegas, not the Raiders, the um bookmakers. The bookmakers. So they're not buying in either. You know, the narrative is that well the Eagles look different and everybody played better and you know Miles Sanders has made better. Everything was better. And there are parts of that we'll that we'll talk about. But bottom line is People still see the Cardinals as a better team, no matter who the quarterback is, and six and a half is a pretty big line. Particularly when Arizona hasn't been playing that well. Right. Like, th if this was earlier Arizona when they were coming off a couple of their peaks this season, you'd be like, okay, that makes some sense. This is Arizona who have shown some vulnerabilities over the last few weeks, and Vegas is still liking them almost to the tune of an entire touchdown against the Jalen Hurts-led uh, Eagles. And I think it makes some sense. Look, I— I'm not, I don't want to dump on Jalen Hurts and say the guy has no shot, there's, there's no future there, there's no, no possibility. But he didn't throw the ball that well in his first start. And when you look at the number of things they did schematically to kind of, in, on one hand, take advantage of his superior uh, running ability to Carson Wentz, on another hand, kind of not play real offense, you know? Like all these kind of weird trick plays with inverted veer, all the kind of stuff you can only do with a special athlete, a quarterback, but you can't make a whole offense out of. And typically you can't do them for any kind of long period of time because they're they're like shock plays. They're surprise plays to a defense. It's like, oh, crap, we weren't expecting this to come out of the woodwork. But it's like it's a play that's been around since the 1930s. If you show it to them a few times, they know what they're doing, right? So, yeah, week one of the Jalen Hurts offense w was designed well. It functioned, and he did a good job of executing it. But how long does that last? What kind of grace period do you get with that before defenses just clamp down on it? Well, you know, my broken record statement all year, um, it, that is, first off, I think building an offense around Hurt's skill set, which is more of a good thing than a bad thing. Um, but the floor of the offense, the same thing I've said about Kyler Murray, Taysom Hill, the floor 
of the Eagles offense is higher because like last week when Hertz didn't throw the ball well he did rush for over 100 yards he did we had the Miles Sanders 82 yard touchdown run where if you look at the linebacker just peeking into the backfield just enough that gets Sanders into the secondary makes one guy miss he's off for 82 yards there that Hertz does bring that to the table and I'm not trying to hate on him either I'm more just trying to say don't look at one game and make declarations for the future I would say this about anybody particularly when and don't tell me that he was great when he you know was a good runner and wasn't a good passer so I think he's got a chance to improve I think there's a world where Hertz is going to play way better from a grading standpoint and the stats aren't going to show it and we're going to be talking about the other end of it um but I think the Eagles are tighter than a six and a half point underdog here I think the Hertz factor does does tighten up the the matchup here my question is this Eagles offensive line that's been beat up and depleted and they got the great Hassan Reddick on the other side after his five sack game last year last they're week. also missing a lot of guys in the secondary which I think might be playing into that line um, yeah Philadelphia secondary is pretty beat up right now Arizona has passing weapons they should be able to have this high octane you know endless scoring offense the problem is we just haven't seen it happen that much this season Kyla Murray hasn't you know taken that huge step forward as that type of quarterback his biggest steps forward have been as a runner and that's evaporated since he picked up the shoulder injury so go back to it a little bit last week yeah I, I mean I guess the bottom line is certainly the line Vegas expects this to be Arizona's passing attack taking advantage of Philadelphia's lack of players in the back end and you know I I could see that happening certainly I could absolutely see that I think you know Arizona's um you know they they lost a little luster the last few weeks but they're still very much in the thick of it um I think from an off-season discussion standpoint the Eagles are going to be fascinating man because I think they've I don't think they've made a ton of bad moves we'll talk about them later on the show by the way Benjamin Solak from um you know he's an Eagles guy right and he's Mm -hmm. with the draft network and he knows the Eagles inside and out so we're going to talk more Eagles later in the show with him um, but I don't know that they've made a ton of bad moves. He might disagree, but I think that's the challenge with team building sometimes is you do a lot of things that are right on paper and they just don't work. Like Darius Slay was the right move on paper, and that hasn't worked out um, for the Eagles, plus yeah, I mean, the million injuries that they've had. We're months away from like crowning Howie Roseman as like the best GM in NFL history, and then yeah. his quarterback falls apart, and suddenly, well, along with everything else, along right. with the offensive line, the secondary, like everything in Philadelphia fell to pieces – and now it's like, well, this is the worst contract ever. We got I'm, this is how good a guy signed this. I'm looking forward to discussing that a little bit later on. So here's my take. Six and a half seems rich. I'm taking Philly to cover. I like Arizona to win. Um, and we'll have a little bit more Eagles talk going on. Who, who do you think? Who do you like in this game? Yeah, I think I could buy that. Um, I I mean, the, what's interesting is the entire NFC East has suddenly become interesting, right? They're, they're all live in these games. Like Philadelphia, Arizona, a couple of weeks ago, you're like, no shot, Arizona, easy win, forget about it, next game. Now it's like, all right, I can see a way that Jalen Hurts, this offense still functions. They don't make as many mistakes. Arizona hasn't been firing the way we know they can. They could snatch this. Similarly, you know, the, the other games in there, Washington, suddenly the entire NFC East is actually viable again you're so sad <clears throat> yeah i'm disappointed that that's true your hopes true. and dreams just destroyed of es uh, nfc east just being horrible going into the playoffs all right let's go to the primetime cleveland browns man they, they put them on primetime that's what they do and deservedly so the cleveland browns at the new york giants it's sunday night football um we screwed up this week sam we screwed up we on did. the pff daily we made a mistake 
Okay. We didn't cover the Browns and Ravens the day after on the daily. Uh, we're going we're gonna to rectify that because we haven't had a chance to discuss Poop Bowl or whatever you want to call it now. The, the Lamar, <laughs> Baker. He claims it crazy. wasn't. He claims it wasn't. You know, it was nothing untoward. It was just cramps. Now I need – what it reminded me of, of course, was the, the time that I, we, I took the time out to discuss the food poisoning incident of the 2007 Nashua Pride mm. and how I was right at the – the center of poisoning my teammates. Day that will live in infamy. Yeah. I forget yeah. which podcast we did. There was sometime this offseason where you actually gave me the floor to spend a few minutes telling that story. We got to dig it up because I think it was worth it. But that was a similar situation where our 300-pound closing, you know, closer, our pitcher, had to sprint across the field hmm. to get off, you know, to get to the locker room because, <laughs> uh, as he said, estomo go no bueno. Um, so this was, I, had, I had flashbacks of all of that. The thing that was crazy is Lamar comes back out. Like, as soon as McSorley goes down, what did he, he just, like, ripped the, the IV out? It was just like, I'm in. Let's go. I'm not waiting for this thing to finish. I got to go. He was on the way already, right? Like, at the point where they, it was, <laughs> at the point where it's like, okay, seriously, Trace McSorley's out here. It's not going well. <laughs> you need to be back pretty quickly. I think he was, you know, working, working to get out there as quickly as possible. It just happened to time. Uh, time well uh, from a Cleveland standpoint I think the narrative is hilarious that um, a, they have a better record than the Ravens and you're of the mind and other people are, are of the minds that this game showed that they could hang yeah with the Baltimore Ravens explain that not even necessarily Baltimore is not it, the fact the specific team is not the point the fact is that the first time they played against a legitimate defense and one that gets creative Baker Mayfield and the Browns offense imploded and just was a complete train wreck, right? Had no shot. They didn't, they couldn't win a game based on that kind of performance against a team like that. When they played Pittsburgh, same kind of thing. Aggressive defense, not as creative as Baltimore's, but probably better um, across the board in terms of talent that they have available to them. Same thing. Cleveland, absolute train wreck on offense. They're basically their three worst games on offense have come against the three best defenses they face which is fine, but when you get to the playoffs, those are the teams that stand between you and a Super Bowl or any kind of run. So no amount of like beating up on crappy defenses is gonna, is gonna change the ultimate story other than, okay, now you're actually gonna get to the postseason, but what is gonna happen when you get there? Are you capable of even being in a game with any of these teams that have already blitzed you off the, off the field so far this season? So for them to come back, and I don't even care that they lost at the end. For them to, to have that kind of performance on offense against Baltimore's defense, knowing what we know about the first time that went, I think that's really encouraging for this offense. They showed that they can uh, play a game fundamentally well against those teams. Baker Mayfield didn't have a disaster. It was a really bad interception, but outside of that, Baker Mayfield played pretty well. Um, so, I, yeah, I think it's encouraging, even though they were – the better team on paper based off record alone yeah I don't, it's not i don't think it's a crazy it's not a crazy take it's not a crazy take but it is it is just funny to me that the browns are still ahead of the ravens in the standings and we're and we're viewing them through that lens but i think that's kind of like the nature of the nfl too is that the ravens were the first place team they get a first place schedule they've had to play more difficult teams they've had to play uh you know they had to play the chiefs early on and, and things like that so that is why the standings change a lot. That's why the NFL surprises us year over year. They're also coming from different directions in terms of perception. So it's always going to, there's always going to be like a crossover period where you're not quite buying it. 
You know, when when a yeah. team that you thought was really good goes past a team that you thought was really bad in terms of like standing or just general percent, there's always going to be a little bit of a lag period where you're like, well, they're probably going to bounce back at some point or it's going to reverse. It's not quite what we're looking at. Uh, my, my point is that what if the difference in the Ravens and the Browns is legit? Like the three of the Browns, uh, the Ravens losses came to the Chiefs, first place team that they had to play, the Titans, first place team that they had to play, and the Patriots, first place team that they had to play, that the Browns haven't played. Right. So, um, oh, they played the Titans, but hmm. they had to play. They destroyed them. They did. <laughs> so, two teams. Anyway, the, the Patriots the, the would be a, an interesting one, though. If Cleveland, again, if Cleveland had to go up against that kind of defense, that would be, that would be, oh, that'd be a great matchup. matchup. My, my point is that Baltimore, that like the little bit, the little differences in schedule sometimes might make the difference here to where we might still believe that the Brown, that the Ravens are a better team despite a different record from the Browns. I'm with you, though, in the, I'm encouraged by the Browns offense and I want to view it through a positive lens for the Browns because you know me weather guy and indoor guy the weather has affected their offensive numbers they played in some of the most ridiculous weather in the middle of the season and since that point they've been excellent and since OBJ went down whatever the the narrative is that you want to create we've seen Donovan Peoples-Jones essentially become a better deep threat we've seen Jarvis Landry and Rashard Higgins despite his Two, he, had, he had officially three fumbles in the game because of the laterals at the end, yes. but two real fumbles in the game. Despite all that, you know, a solid possession guy. The thing, they right? use the tight ends well. I like the way the Browns' offense is working. They put up like a million points, and they had a bad interception from Baker and back-to-back fumbles from Rashad Higgins. Like, they threw the ball away a lot for a team that racked up a ton of points. Like, that offense is firing. It's really difficult to stop. And, I mean, the, the thing I tweeted was, I don't care if they win or lose at this point late in the game. You don't want to play that team in the playoffs. And I know their defense is giving up a ton of points. doesn't matter. You do not want to play a team that is capable of winning in that many ways on offense. And that's, a, that's the key. And with a quarterback that whatever, about his, whatever flaws he has, as again, terrible interception, he will stand back there and sling it a million times in the game if he needs to or hand it off. Like, Baker Mayfield will go down swinging in a way that again i you i don't want to face that team if i'm in the the afc playoffs it's going to be a great battle against the giants that's who they're playing here because if you look at freddie kitchen's revenge oh yeah so explain what's happening here uh jason garrett has covid giants offensive coordinator is on the covid list uh so freddie kitchens who is the tight ends coach i think is going to be calling plays <laughs> for the giants facing the browns who we called plays for last time and it went for Colt McCoy, former Brown. as badly as it could possibly have gone. For Colt McCoy. Yeah. Former Brown. Yeah. For the Giants. What if he learned? What if he's like gone back and figured it all out? He was ah, I in, see what I did wrong here. He was good in 2018 calling plays. Yeah. Let's just say the, the times we've seen Freddie call plays and not be the head coach have been good. When he had to be the head coach and he was trying to call plays, it was not good. Hmm. I'll just say that. Um, but the Browns offensive line against this Giants defensive line the giants are just you know loaded with big old tough to move interior defensive linemen the browns love to run the ball and left guard to right tackle if you guys have premium stats 2.0 just looking at those grades joel batonio 86 jc treader 78 wyatt teller 93 jack conklin 84 across the board the browns offensive line has been fantastic this year so i think that battle is going to be great and i but for all the positive we've been thrown at the Browns, or at least I've been thrown at the Browns, you have to. 
it still comes down to their defense, right? They didn't have Denzel Ward the other night. They couldn't stop anybody. That back seven, I think, has been just a just a ticking time bomb essentially this entire season. And the one thing that's probably going to end up holding the Browns down. Yeah, I mean, it is a problem, but to a degree, it I don't know how much it matters when you look at the teams that are in the AFC that they're going to have to go through, right? Whether it's Pittsburgh, who right now their offense is the problem, so that's helpful. <laughs> if your your defense is struggling, facing an offense that's having issues is a great uh, tonic. Or the Chiefs, who are going to score anyway. Like It doesn't matter if your defense is pretty good. They're going to put up 35. So if your defense is crappy, what difference does it make? You're going to be in a shootout with Because you them. put up 50. I mean, I, I don't know that they're making that much difference to the Chiefs. The Chiefs are going to score how many, however many the Chiefs are going to score, and your ability to impact that on the back end between bad and middle defense, I think is marginal at best. Your, your only shot to impact that is from middle to like outstanding defense. Um, so the Browns, if they face the Chiefs, will be in a shootout. We've already seen them in a shootout with Baltimore. Pittsburgh, as I say, struggled. They blew Tennessee out of the water. Indianapolis is interesting because that was the team, right, that gave them some problems. Um, but like, they're not a fun matchup for any team in the AFC, even with that defense. Yeah, I mean, when you <clears throat> you have Miles Garrett up front, he can he can wreak havoc against this Giants uh, pass blocking unit too as well. What do you do if you're the Giants with quarterback? Because they kind of need to win games because they're still technically in this NFC East as in this like right now. Yeah, but they rushed Daniel Jones back. He couldn't move and he got sacked a million <laughs> Jones times. Jones looked like he had issues. Do I have posture issues again? Just tell me. Just tell me what to do. Um. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're very professional here very professional here that's right you I'm, guys i need a, i need a full-time cameraman on me here. A, it's a personal preference don't it worry is. about it i think you might have to roll colt mccoy here daniel jones got sacked five times last week by hassan reddick alone now colt mccoy came in and got sacked a couple times too the cardinals yeah. were getting after it right but colt might have a better shot behind a rough offensive line of the giants jones holds the ball forever i mean obviously the big playability is there yeah it still comes down to me calling Daniel Jones Nick Foles, right? No matter how hurt he is, he's willing to make plays under pressure and throw the ball down the field. He's been awesome throwing the ball down the field. So maybe one-legged Daniel Jones, who's at least going to chuck it and take some chances, is your best bet. But it also is your most likely scenario for maybe getting crushed. Yeah, and again, whatever about Hassan Reddick's outlier game, if Hassan Reddick can do that, now Miles Garrett's coming. Oh, he's going to have 12 sacks. Yeah, if Reddick had and five. Olivier Vernon's been playing, like they've got they've got some pass rushers. Whatever had that defense being bad overall, they have got some pretty formidable players up front. If you're struggling to protect your immobile quarterback, all right. Cleveland's favored by five on the road Sunday night football. I yeah, think they can cover this. Yep, I like the Browns. They're good for it. Look at us being all pro Browns here. Do they have any? Really quick, do they have any little letdown coming off of crazy? put everything into it monday night football game against your division rival ravens rival do they have a little uh a little letdown here no because I, again I, I think they'll take positive things from that game even though they lost I, okay. I honestly think that's the takeaway from that game is hey we were 32 points worse than this team in week one and now we're now we're as good as them okay we lost but it was you know we were there all right we're gonna get through the rest of the slate here houston Texans at the Indianapolis Colts. The Colts are favored by seven. 
We talked about Deshaun Watson on the review pod. Didn't look great last week, but also didn't have... It was his first game. With, oh, he didn't have Will Fuller for the second straight week. Didn't have Brandon Cooks. It was a different Houston offense without the playmakers there. What's that going to look like? Watson against this Colts defense again. Yeah, and he talked about you know a letdown game for Cleveland. This could be one for Indianapolis. Like Indianapolis kind of got their season back on track, right? The Browns did them a huge favor in battering the Tennessee Titans. Colts suddenly look a lot better because of the other – uh, results in the AFC, but they're still, you know, they're not out of the woods in terms of this could still go south. And this is the kind of game where, okay, you're a much better team than the Houston Texans, but the Houston Texans have the better quarterback. Okay, the better quarterback doesn't have anybody to throw to, but he's the better quarterback in the game and, and again, has that ability to make plays with his legs that your quarterback doesn't even if he does play you know to the best of his abilities Brandon Um, Cooks by the way questionable limited at practice on Wednesday we'll see what happens with him but uh, clearly having both receivers down was a huge issue yeah for the Texans last week and you know I'm not saying it's necessarily something you would expect like Deshaun Watson with nobody helping him out is gonna have problems against a really good defense in Indianapolis but he's capable of the kind of game where if Indianapolis doesn't take this seriously and they're not like, you know, putting their all into this game, this is one you could slip up against in a game that's supposed to be a win on your schedule. Rivers has played well overall. I know I've been critical of the highs and lows, and but, you know, he's got far more good games than bad games. And um, I just wanted to touch on DeForest Buckner really quickly because, again, we love offseason stuff. We love discussing the strategy, the moves, and all these things. And I thought one of the biggest moves last offseason was the Colts trading the number 13 overall pick, Sam. Yeah. 13 for DeForest Buckner, a guy that needed to be re-signed, was at the end of his first contract with the 49ers. He's not a top three interior defensive lineman historically. He's a very good interior defensive lineman. But this year, clearly the highest graded player on their team, 89 grade, his first 90-plus pass rush grade. He had never graded that well. He's a number six interior defensive lineman so far this year. Was this the right move, even for the 13th overall pick for the Colts? And the contract. Like they and had the contract, right. And had they had to pay. Trade that for the privilege of giving him the monster contract right. that most people want to try and avoid in the first place. Um, now, they were fortunate in that they had a ton of money to burn, and it needed burning. So they had to put it somewhere, and that's not a bad place to put it. But, yeah, I think they, he's played better this season than he ever played in San Francisco, which was a level that was high enough for them to want to trade the 13th overall pick for him in the first place so you can't look at this in any other way than saying this is uh, a massive success story for this trade like they there's no way that DeForest Buckner this season is playing worse than they would have they would have hoped he played like almost certainly is better than they thought they were getting and they were they were happy enough with the guy they were getting in the first place and I bring him up because it's always fascinating to me when division rivals play in two out of three weeks it always it feels so unnecessary that the NFL actually schedules things like that. The Falcons actually have to do it twice this year. They play the Saints two out of three weeks. They play the Bucks two out of three weeks. It's really weird. But two weeks ago, DeForest Buckner had nine pressures against the Houston Texans. That's his season high. So just keep an eye on him. He's the guy I'm watching. We're going to give you one or two things to watch in each game. I, I like Indy here. I think, honestly, my, my assessment is going to come down to Brandon Cooks being on or off the field. I think it's that simple. Without Will Fuller, you need something for Deshaun Watson, or he's going to get sacked five or six times again if he's got nobody to throw to. So I'm taking Indy as of now. 
and we'll see what happens if 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 we know that cooks is going to play maybe i'd lean houston to cover but i think indy wins this thing and they continue yeah i'm roll. taking indy to win but I, I think this is a very real opportunity for a, a slip up if they're not paying attention all right seattle seahawks at the football team what do we got for a number here i just pressed the wrong button five and a half yep for seattle my question on the seahawks here what do we make of the seahawks do we just throw out last week's game they went 42 to 3 against the jets uh 43 against the jets and you know seattle had been trending down and russell wilson hadn't been playing well and then it's just you know he had his four touchdown game and threw the ball pretty well against the jets but it's the jets and what do we make of seattle going up of what has turned out to be a really good football team defense here yeah, it was the game that we said they never had, right? <laughs> yeah, they have Russell the Wilson game. Yeah. and the Seahawks never cover like a 14-point spread against anybody, right? So why would they do it this week against the Jets? And then they go up and like hang 40 on them and it never looks even remotely in doubt. And that's 40 with Marcus May making one of the interceptions of the year, you know, one-handed pick in the end zone to stop a touchdown. Like they weren't even close to troubled against the Jets, but it was the Jets who are miserable. Um, Washington, on the other hand, are trending in the other direction, who took control of the NFC East despite Alex Smith, A, playing badly, and then B, leaving the game with a calf strain. It didn't matter. They still took control of that division, thanks largely because of that defensive front that is nasty. And Seattle has got some problems up front on the offensive line. They've been forced into the bench a little bit, and the starting five wasn't exactly the best group in the, in the NFL. So... Washington's defensive line could certainly have an impact and quietly like the back end of this defense has been doing a pretty good job as well like it isn't just the front four you know the, the defensive line that's getting all the ink the act the back end of that defense is actually playing pretty well as well that to me is one of the surprises of the season not the point about the defensive front if you just look at all the the highest graded players on the football team it is all those former first round defensive linemen Jonathan Allen is having a career year Chase Young has not been perfectly as advertised he's been very good uh he hasn't had the same type of dominant rookie season that a boat the Boses have had or miles garrett or anything but he's good he's really good he's going to be awesome montez sweat has stepped up their highest graded players are up there but they've gotten a really good year out of ronald darby on the back end jimmy moreland's flying around the field as a slot corner and kendall fuller like they're not bad compared to what i thought they were going to be in the secondary so i think that helps the football team at least keep it close my question is going to be is it alex smith or dwayne haskins because if alex smith is out there he'll manage the heck out of that game does it actually matter it does does it yeah alex smith hasn't even been playing well since he came back like it's an amazing story comeback player of the millennium it's phenomenal but his he's not been playing that he well. had no until last week he had been he'd been solid games but Haskins was week. playing kind of solid before they took him out. Like, Haskins hadn't actually been playing that badly, oh, no. but they benched him because it sounds like he wasn't taking the job seriously at all behind the scenes, and they weren't winning, right? Haskins is the guy that the, the, the stuff that the Alex Smith makes look easy, I think Haskins makes look difficult. Short area stuff and just, you know, quick, quick decisions over and over and over again. I just, I like Alex Smith better. I think they have a better shot with Alex Smith. Now, Dwayne Haskins... Can he make a few more downfield throws and, you know, maybe give the football team a chance? Perhaps. But I think Alex Smith gives them a more consistent chance, I would say, than uh, than Haskins in this particular week. But I'm looking forward to what, what does Russell – Russell Wilson's two weeks removed from scoring 10 against the Giants. The Seattle offense scored 10 against the Giants. 
before that he had come off of some just an okay game against the eagles okay against the cardinals and two rough ones against the bills and the rams so i think this is huge for wilson right now in this offense going up against the football team's defense and the rams defense over these next next couple weeks to kind of prove that they're going to be back on track and ready to go for the playoffs the jets game did nothing for me to uh to elicit confidence in, the, in that team going forward so that's what i'll be keeping an eye on also with this washington defensive line if russ is off and if he's a tick slow this is one of those games where he gets sacked six or seven times like it gets sacked a ton and so there's the potential that this is one of those awkward seahawks you know like 19 to 12 games or whatever it ends up being right <laughs> yeah definitely i mean the it's a pretty big line given what we've seen from Seattle recently outside of that Jets game and what we just saw from Washington. Like, they they are trending in the right direction. This is a team that, uh, can they still get to 500? Or they can at least get to 7-9 and nine and win that division. Um, yeah, I'm kind of surprised that the line is as big as it is given that we haven't really seen Russell Wilson consistently hit those peaks for, you know, week on week. All that said, I'll lean Seattle, but I would probably lean Washington to cover with yeah. Alex Smith, the quarterback. Same. Seattle's going to win, though. New England at the Miami Dolphins. This is the first time the Dolphins have been favored, what, 37? Uh, once out of the last 38 games or something ridiculous. Wow. Here's here's what I want to say here, right, just to make this a at like a macro-level story here. It's interesting. The Patriots play the Dolphins and the Bills the next two weeks. And after 20 years of dominance in the AFC East, these next two weeks – might be that like remember for years it was like well at some point tom brady's going to be gone at some point belichick's going to be gone and someone else is going to win the afc east or take over it feels like these next two weeks could potentially be that like dolphin statement game bills statement game but the bills have made many statements they've already beaten the patriots but if they sweep the patriots and if the dolphins win this game and really push officially officially push the patriots out of the playoff picture is that this statement game that the afc east is now officially officially away from the patriots it's it's a whole new whole new division it's not necessarily just going to be the bills every year but it's the bills the dolphins are in the mix and it's over for new england i feel like we're in that two-week period here where that could be the narrative in a couple weeks what do you think i yeah i could buy that i'm to me the interesting part of this though is just this New England versus New England South matchup, right? Bill Belichick versus uh, Flores, the the master and the apprentice, right? Mm -hmm. And does this is this a passing of the torch, right? Has Brian Flores taken this defense um, outside of New England, maintained it at the same level, and he's now sitting here with basically a better roster? So they win the game. They the mantle has been passed from Bill Belichick to to the apprentice, or is this? Is this like the plot to Rocky Five, right? Belichick has one wait, wait, last wait, game. Wait, 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 wait. What? Big fan of the Rocky series here. Yeah. No one no, has it's a bad watched movie. It's Rocky bad movie. Five. No, no, everyone's watched it, but only once because it's bad. Right, so, no, so nobody remembers okay. Rocky Five and Tommy Gunn or anything. Like, nobody yeah, remembers. Yeah, there you go. See, you remember. Uh, that's you all know. I know. You know. Tommy Gunn. Don't lie to me. You know. You know what I'm talking about. Not like I know Rocky Four, though. <laughs> no, no, that's true. But, okay, Rocky Five, right? Rocky retired at this point, becomes the teacher, the, the master to Tommy Gunn, who was actually a boxer himself, <laughs> Tommy right? Morrison. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, he becomes successful. I don't even remember why, but they fall out and they end up in a street fight and, and Rocky kicks his ass, right? 
one final swing from the master to defeat the apprentice even though at this point rocky's like a 50 year old man and the guy he's kicking his ass is is the world heavyweight champion at this point it's absurd it's a terrible movie it's a bad plot but that's what we might be looking at this week right brian flores tommy gunn coming for the coming for <laughs> the old gu- coming for the old man and instead bill belichick slaps him down in a street fight one last one last swing of the 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 punch would a rocky movie review work for the pff daily is that worth a good 10 minutes or so <laughs> no no it's no. not no there's nobody nobody not wants rocky to hear five. a review of rocky five no no not rocky five like three or four or something oh, okay. one three or four any of those there's That's a lot of five. mileage in three I i'll give I... you the it's a good analogy I, I think it worked i think there's just i think there's some overarching narrative type stuff there's a rocky five parallel it's a it's a really interesting game um also weird stuff happens in miami where they're where they're favored by two right now over the patriots the question in new england is is cam newton the future i mean he's on a one-year contract and they obviously haven't locked him up do they just slow play it into the offseason does cam newton earn the job over these next few weeks he's been playing hurt reportedly these last few weeks although I think that's a part of playing quarterback is staying healthy and being well, able to particularly perform. Particularly for him. I mean, right. this is this is what he's been dealing with for like the better right. part of his career. You can't, you can't use excuses right. for you the You can't injuries. be like, oh, it's, this isn't real Cam. Well, when does real Cam show up and how long do I get him for? Because he hasn't been here by that definition since like 2017, 2016, which isn't really doing me a lot of good now, is it? I think in all this, though, I might lean New England because I still – don't have a ton of confidence in Tua because you watch Rocky Five. That's why. Yeah, you convinced you know, me. You saw it. Rocky's gonna win. Rocky That's wins the street fight. You here. don't beat Rocky. It's just the rookie deal. Belichick's D against rookie Tua. I'm buying into that. Right, but the I mean, on the other side, do you have any faith in Cam Newton and his no receivers can get open against Brian Flores' defense? No, because in, in week one though they ran the ball like crazy, and I still yeah, think which is presumably what they're going to try and do again. Yeah, and I think that New England—it's a different world. It's that was ages ago, but New England still has that ability in any given week to go run for 200 plus, and Cam throws the ball you know 20 times, and it doesn't really matter because they play good defense and they can run the ball. They have that in them in any given week, so I'm leaning New England to cover and win this game even and though crazy stuff does happen in my as game. i'm just writing to you so that i remember this the what does new england do with cam newton should be a daily topic oh yeah it absolutely should we'll hit on all the quarterback situations and the carousel and, and all that fun stuff we have a dac one i think we're gonna we're gonna hit soon so oh man so much fun on the daily go check it out pause and pause and subscribe go do it right now mm-hmm. Hey guys, life is full of questions. Like what would happen to my family if something happened to me? Am I saving enough for retirement? And is now the right time to start thinking about life insurance, just to name a few. No one should have to settle for answers to these life altering questions that involve gray areas or leaving things to chance. And with Western and Southern, you won't have to. Backed by over 130 years of experience gathering insights, building strategies and helping customers choose the right solutions, together we can look ahead to leave the unknown behind. Western and Southern Financial Group, life insurance, retirement, and investments. Compensated endorser products issued by member companies of Western and Southern Financial Group, Cincinnati, Ohio. Tampa Bay Bucks at the Atlanta Falcons. Bucks favored by six. Like I said earlier, this is one of those, they're going to play twice in three weeks here. So the division rivals have not played each other here until week 15. Um, I think early in the season, if you looked at this matchup, you'd be like, well, look at the Bucks. They've got the Falcons twice in the last three weeks. They, you know, those should be two easy wins. I don't know if it's going to be that 
easy the way the Falcons in any given week play a little bit better defense. Um, Julio's been banged up. I think that's really affected Matt Ryan's game. Uh, Matt Ryan's been all over the place this year with his performances too. So I don't know. Ex- I mean, Tampa Bay should win this game, but would you be surprised if Atlanta in a division matchup, you know, gives them a good one? No. Uh, Minnesota this season have the 31st ranked PFF pass rushing grade as a defense. Uh, they're like 50-something, right? Only the Bengals are worse, and the Bengals basically have no pass rushers. They're worse than Seattle, whose pass rush is Jamal Adams, the safety. Um, so Tom Brady had all day to work with last week. Didn't, didn't have any problems, essentially. This week, like Atlanta, they're not the 85 bears or anything but they can rush the passer they have a top 10 pff pass rushing grade they're eighth uh, just ahead of denver just behind tampa bay so that is at least enough to test you and put you back in a situation of well what did we learn over the last few weeks or did we learn anything and just play the vikings i, I think the falcons yeah I mean, so you mentioned the pass rush and everything grady jared on the interior also a breakout player this year foyasadi olakun nicely done olakun the linebacker I, I wrote him up before the season that he could be a really nice compliment to Deion Jones and he's really he's developed into that he's been a solid player um so you've got a couple decent linebackers Deion Jones is awesome when he's at his best but a couple decent linebackers patrol in the middle and Keanu Neal's bounced back this year and there's just massive question marks at corner for the Falcons I mean that's the that's the reality of it if they could shore that up this offseason they might have a quicker turnaround maybe than people think AJ Terrell has been maybe the best rookie corner, though. And it, I mean, oh, right. So granted, that's a start. That, that bar right. is not high, right? Rookie cornerbacks this season have been getting lit on lit on fire by and large. But if you're going to pick the best one, like AJ Terrell is probably in that conversation. Has at least got a pretty good case. Um, so from a Bucks perspective, I think like if you're a Bucks fan, you're just like, all right, Falcons, Lions, Falcons, finish strong, offense, be good. You know, be the playoff caliber offense that people expected all the time uh you you win out you're 11 and 5 and you're just right there in the thick of the of the playoff race um so i think that's what bucks bucks fans should be expecting three wins over these next couple weeks um but you got to go out there and do it and they took care of business last week against the vikings i think they'll be okay here um but they the story is all of their uh, special teams unit plus uh ronald jones are in covid protocol i believe so Who's punting? Who's kicking? Who's doing any of this stuff? Or is this the day where it's like, you got no kicker, you got no punter. Bruce, you got to go for it all the time. Two, every time. By the way. No punts. Going back back to the Ravens-Browns game. That was a little view into the future, I think. Fourth down decisions, going for two, down seven, all these different things that happened. And it did lead to a massive shootout. I think when you have coaches on both sides making good decisions that are going to lead to more points you're, you over time you're going to get more points and you're going to get maybe a little bit more exciting brand of football my point is if the bucks have no spe- no special right. team is available do they end up doing something like that where they end up you know being a little bit more aggressive and accidentally score 45 points because <laughs> of it you know what i mean i also think that facing atlanta twice in a few weeks is actually a useful thing for them because again the idea for them is just make it to the playoffs right and make it to the playoffs having figured out all the problems because this whole thing this season for the bucks has been about troubleshooting this offense right you bring a a hall of fame uh quarterback together with a really good offense um, on paper 
and you expect it to just work 100% right out of the box, and it doesn't. So the entire season has been about troubleshooting, figuring out where the problems are, and fixing the code, or you know whatever the whatever the continuing analogy would be. But just figuring out where all those issues are and, and ironing them out, and that only works if you if you are presented with problems that highlight them, right? So Atlanta are capable of presenting them with problems and facing them twice in a couple of weeks is almost certainly going to show them something that they wouldn't have seen otherwise, right? Because, I mean, no team comes into the same game two weeks later with the same game plan. So you're going to see something different from Atlanta. And between two games, you would think at least one of them will show you something that you need to fix before you roll into the postseason and face the best teams in the NFL. It's an interesting view on that that maybe – you you figure out how to adjust you know you get you get to practice adjusting um the one concern i have from a tampa bay offense standpoint they came out of the bye last week and a lot of times in the bye it's like a it's like a reset right and especially late in the season you have a chance to work on something and they came out and they felt as run heavy as ever early down run and run and run and run and then you they're if if they were going to make an adjustment and in win on the edges a little bit more with running more motion and more play action and more of the things that we feel like are better for creating offense i almost feel like they reverted the other way and said coming out of the bye we got to establish the run even better i don't yeah i don't think that's what they're they're not going to find the secret to like you know woke offense over the course of the next few weeks what they're going to do is find the answers to specific things the teams are throwing at them and that's why the vikings other than that part's fair yeah other than playoff seating the vikings was basically a useless game for them because they weren't good enough on defense to pose them any kind of problems right and say what do you do if we throw this at you it's going to cause you some real issues because that's a hole in your system right now the Vikings couldn't do that to them, so I, it I think didn't it's, matter. It's definitely going to come down to handling the blitz, right? So blitz answers exactly, right? and slightly different ways of doing it as well. So, you know, the Saints have been the team that's that's causing the most problems that way. So it's not that you're going to expect them if they if they face the Saints again in the play, in the playoffs. It's not that you want them to like abandon the run more, go more pass happy, make all the fourth down decisions. You just want them to have figured out over the course of the season when we start blitzing you and take away your deep pass what is left because right. last time there was nothing they didn't have anything left they had dump offs to ronald jones out of the backfield and that's not going to get it done so all right now you've had the whole season to work that out did you find an answer or is this just where we fall down in this experiment i mean i think honestly the bucks if they used scotty miller down the field had the 50 plus yard touch or 48 whatever the other day evans down the field chris godwin and antonio brown work in the middle of the field with gronk i mean they have the answers there it's yeah. just deploying them properly so we'll see how they do over these next couple of weeks i like tampa bay to cover uh in the dome the six points that they're favored against the falcons what do you think uh i like them to win i falcons keep it close yeah let's say they cover all right Chicago Bears at the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings by three here, Sam. You hate any time the Vikings are favored or anybody says anything good no, about just, the Vikings. Just any time there's a large spread in a Vikings okay. game feels crazy. When they were favored by double digits against anybody, it was madness. And when they were um, in the tank, I think, by like big distance to a bunch of teams, I think it's kind of nuts. This one makes sense. Um, you know, the, the Vikings are what we thought they were, to quote old Denny. I, I I took a little I, it, I had flashbacks of 2018 I think I mentioned this the other day flashbacks that Trubisky came out of a game with a good with good stats and just a, an average grade you know he was 
he was okay i thought it was <laughs> but but i thought but the narrative there or the story coming out of that is the bears created good offense i thought they did a yeah. really nice job it was 2018 all over again. yeah and, and you know even down to the like absurd matt Nagy sound bites it's for real his transformation it's different this time matt Nagy is joe rogan right you know the way like, every pro- promo that joe rogan runs for the ufc this is the greatest fight in fighting history it's like well so was the last 20 like they can't all be the, like, that's not how this works so you switch off right matt Nagy is basically that's every time it's like oh it's different i've never seen mitchell like this this was the best week of practice he's ever put together he's going to come in here on fire and just just make some plays um and then coming out of the game oh yeah it's he's a different guy i i, I mean I, I i don't know what to tell you this is not the same guy we saw last year it's like it is it's the same guy we know who he is we're not buying what you're selling stop it now yeah i think we see a worse version of trubisky in the bears offense you know i like to no matter what minnesota's trotting out there defensively and it's been a it's been a season of growing pains there's no doubt about it but i like the way the rookie corners are trending and they didn't play poorly last week against the Bucs. i mean they they weren't on the field a whole lot they were they were okay gave up a couple big plays in there but Trubisky's got a passer rating of 72 against Zimmer and the Vikings through his history. And I think, you know, Zimmer's done a great job against division quarterbacks not named Aaron Rodgers. Now, that could just be because they're the division. But, like, he's done a great job against Stafford. He's done a good job against Trubisky for whatever it's worth. And I'm I'm buying into the Trubisky statistical regression this week, and I like the Vikings in this one. Yeah, I mean, he had a passer rating of 127 last week, but he had a PFF grade of 66. Like, yeah, I, I credit Nagy. They, they they rolled him out a ton. There was yards after the catch from guys like Allen Robinson making some plays, and they, the screen game was really good. You got a bubble screen for a touchdown in there. So, yeah, there was some there was some good stuff. Cole Komet showing flashes of being like that – you know the big burly tight end that's just a, a pain to tackle in the middle of the field i think his prospects and you know the coming years look look pretty good so i like a lot of things that the bears are doing i like um i like minnesota in this one though yeah i think Coming you have free. to they i mean chicago is certainly held by the fact that minnesota can't rush the passer at all so trubisky should have all day to do whatever it is they want to do with him and their secondary is at least vulnerable still um, i agree they're trending in the right direction those young guys have been getting better but he you made a point earlier in the season that, you know, those guys are in kindergarten right now and they need to get to the master's degree course, right? You're like, well, that in kindergarten to master's degree in 16 games feels like a kind of a steep uh, ascension. That's what we're seeing, right? They're not, I don't know where they are in that step process, but they're not at master's degree yet. They're still, you know, maybe second year of high school. They're going to pick that up in the offseason with a little online Zoom course. Oh, you got it, right? Then they're good. Get the Zoom going. NFL's going all virtual offseason. Remote learning. The people love it. The NFL's going to love that, not having to be in person. Anyway, I'm taking the Vikings. You? Yeah. Buffalo Bills at the Denver Broncos. This is one of your Saturday games, back-to-back Saturday games we'll talk about here. Uh, Bills favored by six. Mm -hmm. And should that be even more? Denver. Look, Denver's offense. Whew showed what they should have been showing yeah last week that makes sense um boy yeah like all their playmakers kj hamler making big plays jerry judy double moves getting open that was nice yeah but uh denver's absolutely depleted in their secondary can they stop cyborg josh allen they lost three guys to acl injuries in the in the cornerback position in like a couple of weeks um 
yeah, that feels harsh. Now you're going up against Stephon Diggs, like just all of the like the receivers that Buffalo has, and Josh Allen. That's a really tough ask. Plus, it also kind of assumes that Drew Locke is going to repeat what he did last week, which is by no means a guarantee. I agree. I think six is generous to Denver. Uh, I think another PFF Daily topic, end of the season, into the offseason, what do the Broncos do with Drew Locke? I think it's a fair question because last week he's had two of his best passing grades uh, in games this year. One was the Patriots game in week six that never showed. It didn't show up in the stat sheet, and then last week it very much showed up in the stat sheet. Um, his second best passing grade of all time in, in his two years, 74.4 for Locke. Not the thing you're looking for as far as like your second best of all time. However, we've only seen about a thousand snaps of Drew Locke. We've seen essentially mm-hmm. a season's worth yeah. of play from Drew Locke. He hasn't been good. He's been below average. He hasn't been Blaine Gabbert, move on immediately horrendous either. But again, the the nature of the NFL and what else is available, I think is going to be the challenging component here. Do you want to tie yourself to Drew Locke developing especially when you have all these nice playmakers here to uh to play with he's shown you enough that you could easily buy talk yourself into saddling yourself with drew lock for you know a number of years going forward um but like the nfl now is about it's so much is about making the right decision on quarterbacks not not necessarily the obvious points like you know drafting the right one but it's about figuring out when to cut bait and moving on to a different option and gambling or when to gamble that actually this guy is going to turn or turn it around right so josh allen is a good example right after two years of josh allen you know you could make the case that hey look i don't maybe we should start looking for alternative uh, options going forward and then year three josh allen explodes and it's like you your faith in him was rewarded but are you going to get the same thing from drew lock can you go two more years expecting the payoff or are you going to go like is he just going to be one of those guys that ends up at trubisky's level where the payoff never comes yeah it's a great question so we'll have to we'll dive in even further at some point i like buffalo to cover the six in large part because yeah denver's secondary is going to have some issues here down the stretch they're going to have issues against the bills here and the bills just the all-around package that they're bringing to the table the defense is capable allen when he's playing well um they're tough to stop. So I'm taking the bills here to cover. I know you are. You signed the apology for them. So mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you're all in on that. Yep. Um, another Saturday game is the Carolina Panthers at the Green Bay Packers. Packers by nine here. And, you know, we, we trashed the Panthers defense on Monday. Somebody brought, hey, they just they shut out the Lions a couple weeks ago. That was okay. an anomaly compared to what the Panthers have done defensively. Packers by nine. Is that enough? Um, or is it your point on the Packers always seem to get a lead and then let people stick around yeah it might not be enough but i certainly wouldn't be confident in betting over that line for green bay i just i every time i watch them it feels like they should be just destroying teams in a way they're not it it looks too easy for them when the offense is functioning the pitch and catch from aaron Rodgers to Devontae adams you know they've got they've got weapons now beyond him whether you know okay marquez valdez scantley you can't always rely on actually hauling in the passes that are sent his way but Alan Lazard, Robert Tunyon has been a, an important part of it. Tunyon, Tunyon like Funyon. Tunyon, right. Um, so they've got some weapons. Aaron Jones out of the backfield is one of the better receiving backs in the NFL. They've got players that it shouldn't be, it should be easier than it is. Given how easy it looks when they get it right, why is it not like that all the time? And that's my concern with them is they, just, they don't seem to um, 
I, I keep wanting to, to say they don't seem to do what the Chiefs do, but the Chiefs aren't really doing that either at the moment. So I don't know what it is, but Aaron Rodgers and Green Bay's offense doesn't quite instill the level of confidence uh, in me that it should, given how potent their primary connection is. If you're into uh, MVP races, which everybody is, uh, Aaron Rodgers uh, has a better grade than, P- than Patrick Mahomes as far as PFF grade goes. PFF war, wins above replacement, factors in a grade plus, you know, volume and your supporting cast and all that stuff. Also gives Aaron Rodgers a slight edge over Patrick Mahomes at this point. So to earn the title for number one in PFF war, got to play well over these last couple of weeks. So that's, uh, you know, a part of, of this whole mix here. Rodgers playing unbelievable this year. He really yeah. is. And, it, and it, it's an incredible turnaround. I expect the Packers absolutely to win, to finish the season strong. They're in the, they have the number one seed as of right now, um, and I don't know if the nine is is enough. I think they, I think they do run away with it uh, in this one. So I'm taking Green Bay to win and cover at home. I'm disappointed. I don't see snow in the uh, forecast though. It wasn't snow in Denver's forecast either. That doesn't explain that line. Um, Very disappointing. No, I'm just saying in general. I'm just dis- no, disappointed know, to I, not see snow in Green I Bay. I checked the, whether it was a snow issue that was the, the reason for that line in Denver not being as big as you thought it should be. It's not. All right. Here's this, a big one. This, San Francisco 49ers. Just lastly, this, if it holds up, will be Aaron Rodgers' best graded season. Oh, absolutely. Better than yeah. MVP 2011. Like, as good, better than he's ever played before. Yep. San Francisco, for, San Francisco 49ers at the Dallas Cowboys. Steve Young versus Troy Aikman. It is going to be, you know, Deion Sanders is on one of these teams. We know that. We don't know which year it is. Mm-hmm. It's going to be awesome. Yeah. Is it? Is Nick Mullins versus Andy Dalton. Hmm. In reality. So. This is one of those games that looked better on paper a while ago before everybody got hurt. I would also argue it looked better back in 1993. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, it did. Yeah. Or 94. Or, yeah, anytime or in the any 90s, other really. year in the 90s the uh, 49ers in Dallas this used to be the hot rivalry man this used to be like the thing but even just you know when the schedule came out this would have looked like a pretty tasty game Dallas on its way to you know a Super Bowl they're there with a hype team Uh, San Francisco in great shape what they're doing with Kyle Shanahan then everybody gets hurt on both teams and now you're left with Nick Mullins Andy Dalton no offensive line for Dallas that's just give me one thing to look for in this game because I'll give you my thing I want to see Dallas defensively because i'm my whole thing is when teams are out of it pretty much pretty much are you ever out of it in the nfc east never really out of it still in it my whole thing is i want to see who's a part of the future all the time who on this dallas team is going to be a part of the defensive rebuild right who's going to be a part of that um they've they've just been poor this entire season so i'll be keeping an eye on the defensive side of the ball for dallas in general here watch trent williams uh, left tackle for the San Francisco 49ers is having his own Aaron Rodgers revenge tour. Um, he's got a PFF grade of 90 at the moment. It's not quite the best season he's ever had, but it's up there with the best seasons he's ever had. And if you just throw on the tape and watch some of the blocks he's executing against people and just absolutely yeah. burying people, it's fun. Like in this 2020 world of, you know, get off my lawn, the game's gone soft NFL, like where hits, you're not allowed to hit a quarterback hard. Otherwise, it's a penalty and all the other things that, you know, people rail against because they're too soft. Trent Williams can still go out there and just destroy human beings in a way that in pretty much any other encounter physically on a football field now is a flag. But it's not when it's an offensive lineman against against a, a defender of some variety. And certainly the last few weeks, he has had a 
a, a bunch of those highlight reel plays. Man, I love watching Trent Williams play football. Uh, San Francisco's favored by three. They're going to cover that at Dallas. I like Dallas here. <sighs> I, Dallas. They should cover it, but I don't know anymore. Shanahan against the Dallas defense. What defense? Exactly. Sorry. No, I'm taking Dallas to cover. Okay. And win. Wow. Andy Dalton. Gonna, yeah. No, he had his revenge game against Cincinnati. He's got no reason to be vengeant against the, uh, no, the 49ers. That's true. that's true. I like Dallas here, though. Uh, Detroit Lions at the Tennessee Titans. This one's 10.5 for the Titans. The last three games all have double-digit spreads. So forgive us if we don't dive deep, okay? Last Just four. forgive us. Last four games. What did I say? Three. Five games. Well, three after this. So the last four games have double-digit spreads. No Matthew Stafford, likely, for the for the Lions. As I read, I, I mean, initially it said he wasn't going to play. And now the quote is, he has no expectations for Week 15. Does that mean he's <laughs> he just doesn't know what to expect of himself? Or uh, he doesn't expect to play? It's, quote, I, no expectations. I would have read that as doesn't expect to play. But, uh, I mean, you can certainly phrase it. You could, yeah, you could certainly read into it a different way. Expectations are like a baseline. Like, I have no baseline, but it could end up anywhere. I mean, I have no expectations for whatever Cincinnati quarterback is going to be playing, and yet somebody's going to be doing it. That's true. Uh, I, I would say no expectations in the 10.5 line for the Tennessee Titans bodes well that Stafford's not going to be the guy. I thought Stafford, over the last couple of years, weeks, was in a bit of a um, like showcase, you know, a little showcase territory. Oh, yeah? If the Lions can, if the Lions, you know, want to try to trade him and you know move on from him showcasing the goods a little bit the last few weeks chucking it around the field and seeing if the colts or the patriots or you know the broncos and all these other teams might might want to be a buyer at some point so the stafford uh showcase the goods tour is taking a bit of a hit here and i think yeah the titans titans gonna roll here aren't they the, the most important thing in this game is that um chase daniel is going to have his career snap per dollar figure destroyed this is going to put like a torpedo into the side of that the greatest galleon to ever sail the nfl sees that man is a hero and this is going to ruin all of his statistics you love all of that stuff you love nfc east you know playoff iterations you love chase daniel snap yeah. per dollar he's earned like four and a half million for every touchdown he's thrown in his well, career the further he moves down on the list that means the further up our friend Bruce Gradkowski moves. Right, and he's already Bruce, top 10. Bruce is top 10. Yeah. And look at him. Just Bruce is up till 4 in the morning on Sunday night grading quarterbacks. Yeah, and he's not getting any more snaps anytime soon. No more snaps. I mean, look, I mean, a couple of the guys trending here in the NFL, maybe Bruce Bruce needs a shot here. Yeah. I need a shot. All right. But look at him slumming it with us over at PFF after being on that top 10 list and moving up. Uh, what? Do you, anything else you're looking for in this uh, Detroit-Tennessee game? <laughs> Detroit's not only... I mean... I'm overmatched but they're depleted in the, on the, yeah. in their defensive side as well right I'm curious to see if Tennessee's defense can like patch itself back together I mean it's been a train wreck for a while they need to you know now you've got Chase Daniel coming to town if you can well just like they had the Jags last week they right helped. but like if you can't sort yourself out when you're facing the Jags then Chase Daniel like you're about to roll into the postseason in theory that's going to be a problem Look, the Titans have shown flashes at times this year, but they do need to figure out on their back end. And then um, another PFF Daily topic this week, we talked about Derrick Henry. So if you're a Titans fan or not, just go check it out because we actually brought it up. We're the analytics dorks that's supposed to say running backs don't matter. But we did ask the question if Derrick Henry does actually matter. Is he above and beyond? Is he worth 
maybe not every penny, but at least worth investing in at the running back position. Go check check that out on the daily this week. Um, ten and a half is pretty steep, but man, Tennessee and their explosiveness on offense, I don't think it's that crazy. There's got to be an upset in here somewhere, though, right? Maybe in the, Detroit. Not in the last games, not, surely. Not in the, maybe Detroit. I'll take Detroit to cover. They're going to stay close. They'll keep it close. Okay. Maybe Detroit keeps it close. All right. Pittsburgh at Cincinnati, Monday Night Football. This one's 12 and a half. Now, if Joe Burrow was playing, I would have fired up the Cincinnati Bengals upset alert from a few weeks ago. Throwing Steve again? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. Joe Burrow, franchise-defining game and fourth quarter comeback and all that stuff i'm just not expecting that this week from brandon allen and so pittsburgh's gonna feel like they're back on track after losing two straight here you would hope so right and if like if the offense still doesn't fire this week now you've got some real issues because cincinnati's defense has been a get right game for pretty much everybody all season long pittsburgh needs to get right on offense they've been struggling they something needs to change on a fairly basic level for them if it doesn't happen this week and they still find problems that's a real like crisis situation for the Steelers. Let me say this about the Steelers, right? And I wrote about this a little bit in my QB column this week. The game that Big, Big Ben played against the Bills was not, it was his lowest graded game of the year, right? 53.7. Mm-hmm. But it's not an egregious game compared to other games that he's played this year. He has four other games of 60 below, yeah. 60 or below. He has played in that range, so to speak including the last game against the Bengals when he had four touchdowns and no interceptions. The same pick six that he threw to Teron Johnson on Sunday Night Football against the Bills, he tried to throw to Jesse Bates in this game. So Big Ben, I feel like this does need to be a game where, all right, you know, show that you can distribute, throw the ball with some a-, a little bit better accuracy, better decision-making, you know, maybe a little bit more zip on the ball. So I think it is a big, you know, referendum, so to speak, on what Pittsburgh can do offensively here. So And the receivers have to catch the ball. Yeah, that too. Pittsburgh's got to catch the ball. I like Pittsburgh to win, and I'll say that they do they do make a statement on Monday Night Football huh. in our hometown of Cincinnati and cover the 12-and-a-half. My um, goodness, these spreads. Based off what I saw from Pittsburgh recently, I'm not picking them to cover a 12-and-a-half point spread against anybody. Well, there you go. Except the Jets. Two more games here. Jets at the Rams now this is fascinating because the Rams are favored by 17 as of record time here we do not see numbers that big in the NFL unless you have like the 07 Patriots the Chiefs and what was the Chiefs Jets a couple weeks ago it was only 10 wasn't it 10 nine and a half 10 was a couple it? weeks ago or was it in the or was it closer to three scores I don't remember anyway my point is usually when you see the monster spreads it's when you have Tom Brady Peyton Manning Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. This is with Jared Goff and the Rams offense, but it's so big because the Rams defense is the best in the league as far as EPA per, uh, per play and you know pass coverage and all that stuff. And the Jets is the worst. So it's interesting that the spread's so big, but it's really triggered by the Rams defense. The Jets only scored three against the Seahawks last week. Not a good defense. What are the Jets going to score against a really good D? Like the, are they going to score negative points against the Rams? <laughs> negative points would be an achievement um well yeah. maybe you throw a pick six or something does that count so the over under for this game is only 43 and a half which you know says a lot of what well, you're saying and if the rams just won 24 to 3 against new england if this game was 31 to 3 i wouldn't be, you know or 24 to 3 again i wouldn't be surprised if the jets scored three points once again this week any chance the jets cover this of course there's a chance I mean, I, 17's huge yeah i mean there is a chance uh, it's up to 17 and a half now, by the way. Um, 
so it's heading in the other direction. There's a chance, but I don't think. I mean, the Jets game last week felt like they'd given up, right? For the first for the yeah. first real time this season, like I was actually um, impressed is the wrong word, but surprised, I guess, that it had taken that long for the Jets season to just completely implode upon itself and them to completely give up and stop playing, essentially, given all the mess that's happened with that franchise this year. But last week was the first week where it looked like that was the case. And it that doesn't seem like the kind of thing that this late in the season you come back from. It's like, no, no, we're we're done now. We're checked out. We're see ya. Um, I don't think you come back the week after and suddenly like shock the Rams to the point of like competent play on both sides of the ball. So yeah, there's a chance, but I'm no. Do the Rams play the Seahawks the next week though, with the division on the line, presumably. So there could be that little bit of look ahead factor in there. Little look ahead yeah. factor with the Rams. Anyway, yeah, the Rams win. I don't. I'll say the Jets it, keep it somewhat close and cover. Um, I don't know why. <laughs> um, just because, think you know, when you have that that level of, of extreme, it doesn't just always play out that way. But look, the Rams defense is legit, and they have they're going to be dangerous in the playoffs. Yeah, when they play the Packers or the Saints or the Bucks or the Seahawks again. It's going to be a good matchup, and they're they're the best defense in the NFC by far, at least at this point since week three, especially. And nobody's really figured them out, so that's going to be tough. Um, check out that Rams defense in this game and see if the Jets can score negative points. Hmm. Let's wrap it up. Jacksonville Jaguars at the Baltimore Ravens. Ravens are favored by thirteen. I think because this goes back to the scheduling thing. Is the the feeling about the Ravens? all essentially triggered by schedule because i think part of it they play jacksonville they play the giants and they play the bengals yeah they have five losses they should win all those and go 11 and 5 and if you came into the season and said you're going to go from 14 and 2 which is tough to sustain to 11 and 5 did you really regress a whole lot or did you have a couple bounces go the wrong way plus a more difficult schedule are you largely the same team as the 14-2 and two team as last year? Yeah, I mean, I, I think they regressed significantly. I don't think it's all down to schedule, but I think that the they, they dropped out of the postseason. They're still out of the postseason playoff standings as of now, but it's always looked like they were going to jump back in based off the way the schedule is going to pan out. And right now, I think the most likely team they'll leapfrog is Miami, right? Miami's final three games are the Patriots, the Bills, and the Raiders any of which they could lose they could in theory win all three but um whereas the ravens we think will probably go three and oh during their stretch so it's they have a, a good shot of, of leapfrogging into the playoffs with that 11 and 5 record it would be pretty surprising if you go 11 and 5 and don't make the playoffs in the afc possible but very surprising yeah um they'll, they'll be all right yeah so but even if they do if they make it 11 and 5 i think they're still a significantly worse team than they were a season ago so I don't think all of the narrative is driven based off that schedule. It's just that they were never quite as bad as it looked like it was heading. Yeah, I, look, I, I agree that there's definitely been some regression. We've talked about that plenty, right? They're, they, they've been different. The other night was, it was against the Browns, the defense that, as we mentioned, was banged up, but impressive offense from, from the Ravens. Um, Lamar was headed for a JT Barrett game, Sam. He was headed for a game where he hardly completed any passes, but was just ridiculous on the ground. Don't mock Still isn't a thing. It's going to be a thing. It's never going to be a thing. Well, maybe it'll be a Jalen Hurts game at some point for our NFL listeners. 
see how see if Jalen Hurts does this every or a Taysom Hill game if these if those if those guys keep it up. Um, but the offense was really good the other night for Baltimore, so maybe they do finish strong. I my point is I think over these next three weeks it's a narrative change few weeks for the for the Ravens, right? People are going to come out of these next three weeks feeling much better about the Ravens maybe than they did a few weeks back. Now, I made that same prediction about Seattle finishing the season like that, but then they lost to the Giants. Yeah. And that, they lost a little luster. But sometimes I like to look ahead and tell you what you're going to feel in three weeks, and that's my prediction for the Ravens. You're going to feel good about the Ravens in three weeks, and it starts started the other night but continues this week against Jacksonville. Well, the other night was the big one because that was not – I mean, that was one of the ones that we weren't even sort of giving, giving them credit for, right? It's their, right. their final four games are against the Browns and then three teams they should win. The Browns, you could say they should win, but the Browns are pretty good. So that was the, they got that game out of the way and got, got a win, and now you get the three quote-unquote easy ones. What do, we, uh, what do we think about the 13 points here? Can Jacksonville keep this close? No. <laughs> I mean... They don't have enough firepower. Like, they can't do what the Browns did in terms of If you have Minshew, if you get Minshew a quarterback, maybe. Yeah. I mean, he's, no. The man almost fumbled the ball just running in a straight line the other week. Yeah, but he um, almost doesn't count for fumbles. They can't do what the Cleveland did in terms of putting up that level of points and hanging with them. So if Baltimore's offense comes to play again, like Jacksonville are going to be Jags cover. blown out. Jags cover. Okay. Unblowoutable. No, no, they're uh, not. For all of these last few games, Detroit, Cincinnati, Jets, Jaguars. It's that point of the year. Looking for the future. Who's going to be a part of the rebuild? So put some good stuff on tape, fellas, if you're if you're battling for your job. All right, that's it. Week 15 in the books, as I've mentioned many times throughout the show. It's not a shameless plug. I, I have taken no shame, actually. Yes, in pl- plugging the PFF Daily. You should. Go check it out. So it is a shameless plug. No, it is. It's okay. shameless. No. Go check it out. PFF Daily. I think you're going to love it. If you love us on this show or you hate us on this show, you're going to love or hate us on the Daily. <laughs> The biggest thing is that you just review it, give it the old five stars, drop us a note like many people already have, Mm -hmm. and tell us how much you really, really love it. So go check out The Daily. Check out the Chris Collinsworth podcast featuring Richard Sherman. They're doing a great job over there as well. The entire PFF, NFL, or just podcast network in general. Go check it out. Week 15, that's it, man. We'll be back Monday morning reviewing all of the action. Enjoy Saturday, Sunday, and Monday football this week. We'll also be back in about three seconds for a Benjamin Solak's interview. Oh, geez. I did the recap too early. (laughs) And we're not going to cut it and fix it because we're not doing that. All right? So just pretend I didn't do that. We're coming out right now. We're back already. You missed us? This is how professionalism works. Yes. Like somebody else would say, we're going to cut it. Right. You can scratch the surface or you can dig deeper and get to this. No. That's where we are. I screwed up. I got to wear it. You did. And you guys have to hear it. Benjamin Solak time. I can't wait. We're going to dive into the Eagles, some draft prospects, and all sorts of fun stuff. So listen to this Benjamin Solak interview. Then pretend I didn't recap the show earlier, and then I'm going to come back and recap the show once again. And that's what we're going to do. Let's go to Ben. All right. We are joined by Benjamin Solak. Appreciate having him on. He's at Bleeding Green. Do you guys hate it? Does Bleeding Green, haven't they trashed PFF through the years? Eagles fans uh, well, in general. Who hasn't, have. Steve, is the real question. Who hasn't? I'm sure it's happened at least once. Not Ble- by me, but by others. I remember all of it. Bleeding Green and the Draft Net- Network. Happy to have Benjamin on. We'll talk a little bit of Eagles and a little uh, a little bit of draft. So how you doing, man? How's the how's the season going despite the, uh, the Eagles not being so hot? Yeah, it's funny. I, I was re- I was full on ready to watch the first prospect to just like sit down, Jamar Chase, get excited, and then Jalen Hurts became the starter. And it's like, all right, well, we're doing this for the rest of the season. You know, you kind of 
mentally shut yourself down on it for the Eagles and now you're back in it. So, I mean, it's been wild as all Eagles seasons are. And if this ends with us playing for the division in week 17, I won't even know. <laughs> I'll probably be excited then, but thinking about it now it drives me nuts. What are your thoughts on on the whole Hurts thing right now? So how what are your thoughts on his first start? How well he played? Was this the right move? All of that kind of rolled into one. Where do you stand on Hurts, Wentz, and where the Eagles are at the moment? Yeah, the only thing wrong with the move is it took him too long to get here. You know, you you reached the point at which continuing to start wasn't helping Wentz a month ago. You know, it was clear like he, he had that that moment against the Ravens and against the Steelers where it seemed like maybe he was getting out of this. And then he just spiraled right back down. And at some point, you have to say, all right, if our priority is starting him long-term, is fixing him, this isn't helping. And maybe a benching will, and maybe it won't, but we got to try something else, you know? And so so to me, it was it was a little bit too late. You know, you're going to get four games of Hurts, and what, you're going to sit down and say, with this information, we can make a conclusion about how well he's going to develop? It's, that's not enough of a sample. So you've kind of got a foot in both ponds here, which frustrates me, but... You put Hurts out there against the Saints, and and the reaction is immediate, both you know emotionally from the team. There's no doubt that the guys just felt different. You know, like there there was a renewed hope. You put a different guy back there. I was like, all right, we're resetting, we're hitting a different button. Let's see what happens. And you get a couple good plays, and kind of that energy starts to pick up. But also just schematically, play wise, you just weren't taking sacks. You weren't punting from your own five. You weren't giving the defense short fields. It, like we talk about complementary football and what that means and what that doesn't mean. And it's, it's a bit of a buzzword, but when the quarterback's not actively limiting the defense or the receiving core or the offensive line, it's complementary football kind of at its base level. So Hertz, who, who's so impressive in his poise, in his calmness, and never get too high, never get too low, as he always says, he was really well suited to take a really difficult situation against a good defense, make the best of it, and then bring home a win is just kind of a cherry on top. So he's he's fun to root for. He's fun to engage with. I don't know if we're going to finish these four games and say he is the guy, he's not the guy, what the plan is. So I, I wish they had given this a little bit more intentionality to, to get a good eval on him. But now that he's here, he's our guy, man. He's our baby. <laughs> what, what do you think happened to Carson Wentz? Because... You know, even if you even if you don't think that that 2017 season was who he was going to be long term, that that was always a, a little bit of an inflation of where he was going to be because of all the how how heavily it was built on sort of unsustainable things. You know, third and long play, all those kind of things. But he, he was a hell of a lot better than this. So how did he go from from Carson Wentz that we thought we knew to a guy that literally needed to be benched just to have any hope of saving him as a long term option? Right, yeah. It, sitting down and asking, like, how did we get here is always a bit of a experience. We're just kind of stunned, right? This is this is quite something. And and I like what you say. You know, you you watch him in 2017, and you watch him now, and you say, okay, I I understand the regression. That that's understandable. That was expected. That's fine. That only explains so much. You you put you know eyes on the film, as it were, and you just say, all right, there's something else. Like something happened here. You know, this is more than just regression. So to me, there were kind of two events uh, there was the fall from 2017 he clearly wasn't the same athlete that he was uh, 2018 he had the fracture back and he wasn't moving that well you know he came into camp this year a little bit heavier right he put on some muscle mass he wasn't moving as quickly uh, so, so you have the the fallout from the injury and just the regression Reich is gone DeFilippo's gone he's not performing as well on third down the coaching staff around him isn't as good so that occurs and that's event one and then event two is kind of you know question mark uh, but it happened somewhere 2018, 2019, 2020, where whatever it was, you know, emotionally and, and, and 
psychologically, people have talked a lot about how he feels about backup quarterbacks and he has too much control in the organization and there are no coaches that have his ear and can really establish him when he's doing something wrong. People say that he has too much control over the week-to-week game planning and that he chooses the plays he wants to run and Doug can't influence him. So all of those things, whether it's that, whether it's it's mechanical failures, right? And he's with quarterback coaches and, and he's not getting right. And, and during the off season, he's trying to come up with new ways to be accurate and that's not working, whether it's wide receiver chemistry, right? We've got all this stuff that's happened over the last couple of years and something in there, uh, a, a combination, an amalgam of a couple, but something in there took a quarterback who at his baseline, like could manage risk and throw a swing pattern and just took that away from him. And so he just has no concept of risk management and pocket management. Every play needs to be 50 yards down the field. You need to hold the ball for five seconds, or he's getting rid of the ball immediately to his first read when it looks bad and he can't put, put an accurate ball on him. And, and it's very difficult to look at a quarterback like that and say, ah, easy explanation. You know, there's, there's too much that happened there. So to me, there was the, gra- the regression and then there was something else. And, and the work for the coaching staff, whether it's Doug Peterson's or, or another's, is going to be to take him back to building block one and say, what throws do you like? Can you hit them? Good. What other throws do you like? Can you hit them? No? Why? And we're just going to have to start from from this is a, a rookie quarterback who's never been in your offense who you've got to take him back literally to 101. Because if you try to build on anything from this year, you're building on a rotten foundation. It's not going to work. Yeah, and that's why I think it, it was the right move to bench him, right? Because right. there's no way it was getting better. It was just – it was deepening whatever uh, – problematic path he was headed down in the first place um do you think it's possible to fix him do you think you can actually piece Humpty Dumpty back together again because I can think of quite a lot of quarterbacks down the years who have gone from being good to being broken but I can't think of many that have been put back together again from that point Mm -hmm. fix it tricky relative term how good can I get him you know and, and how much will that be for me my concern is even if you get him back to a functional point, what happens when he reaches adversity again? Oh, so you clear the room of, of quarterbacks he doesn't like and you get all coaches that work with him well. And then somebody's going to get hired somewhere. You know, the team's got to start planning for something else. A wide receiver is going to leave in free agency. And what happens at the next point? The cost of fixing Wentz in terms of players you might not develop, uh, coaches you might pass over, money you might spend, time you might spend trying to make this contract work is uh daunting it's scary i they're gonna try and because they're gonna give an effort i do think it is possible you know what i mean like he, he's he's for everything that Wentz is he's a good dude who wants to be good at quarterback you know he's, he's not a sour guy like he doesn't want to be playing poorly he wants to be playing well it's gonna cost a lot and it's a narrow shot so this is really you know the end of the action movie here you know everything's on the line we only got one chance at this this is mission impossible so i do think it's possible but, but you're you're gonna really take a swing at it and it could leave you back pretty bad over the next couple years the the whole story is just really fascinating because the the comparison i've made recently was if you looked at lane kiffin's career path upside down in reverse it would make more sense like lane kiffin started with the raiders and then he's with usc and before you know it he's down at florida atlantic and it's like if you if this was wentz's rookie season and then you built on it with 2019 and then 18 and you peaked at 17 and just forget 16 for a minute but you peaked at 2017 it would make sense but going almost in like reverse order i think makes it more challenging to even find like andrew luck hit a 2015 lull and got out of it he was a little injured something was off but he got out of it there's just not a whole lot of people to compare to that have gotten their career back on track which makes it really challenging 
I want to ask you about the Eagles as a team, though, because over the last couple of years, I thought they were going to be good. I thought that they've done a good job. I thought that the front office for a team that looked like it was going to be tough to, to sustain success from a team-building standpoint made a lot of the right moves. You draft the future left tackle a year early. You draft speed. You draft – you have what should have been on paper – one of the best groups of playmakers over the last two years. Going into the last two seasons, I think on paper, receivers mm -hmm. plus tight ends, they're top three in the NFL. It hasn't played out like that. So from a team-building effort, I thought they've done a good job, and a lot of things have gone wrong. How do you feel like they've done from an overarching team-building standpoint? Yeah, loaded question. Because definitely <laughs> you, you look at a lot of it and you go, maximizing a winning window, this is good. What – it's like taking Wentz back to the one-on-one building blocks, right? Fundamentally, when you look at, at a general manager in a front office, you got to bring talent into the building, right? That's 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 number one. And then when we talk about winning windows and cost management and, and restructuring contracts and extending, you got to get talent into the building. And it, obviously the free agency and the draft. And when you check out what Roseman's done, a lot of free agency has been accomplished with the idea of, all right, this talent is going to be immediately impactful for us. Roseman does not bring in low-level free agents, other developmental guys. We're going to get young guys. We're going to come on other teams. No, veteran receivers, veteran defensive tackles, veteran secondary players. We're going to put these guys in. They're going to play well in, in week one. And a lot of that has to do with Jim Schwartz, a defense coordinator who just does not play young guys. Uh, but that's because they wanted to attack this window with Wentz. All right, so you're bringing in these veterans. Sometimes they hit. Sometimes they get injured. And the Eagles have dealt with a lot of injuries to a lot of veteran wide receivers, veteran free agents, veteran defensive tackles over the last couple of years. Okay, well, if you've drafted well, you can survive this. And for a, many, many years, you know, going back to 2016, the Carson Wentz draft, when Roseman, you know, took over uh, the front office back from Chip Kelly, we remember that power struggle. Uh, you've looked at his drafts and you've said, that's good. Maybe should have gone, you know, TJ Watt over Derek Barnett, but it's probably okay. Uh, you know, okay, Cindy Jones and Rasul Douglas, maybe get a corner who looks like he could play in a Jim Schwartz cover three. Rasul Douglas does not, but we'll be all right. Uh, you know, okay, Dallas Goddard, a tight end in the top 50. We already got Zach Ertz. It'll be fine. It'll work. And you just kind of keep going through all those drafts, you know, uh, trading up for Andre Dillard, uh, a developmental tackle. You've got Jason Peters. He'll develop. It'll be good. And all of a sudden, you're here with these injuries in 2019 and 2020, and you go to look to your youth, and you don't have anybody. Uh, they have struggled to get high-level contributing talent in the drafts. Lewis Riddick's favorite stat is that the Eagles have not drafted a Pro Bowler since 2013 or 2014, excuse me, besides Carson Wentz for one season. Uh, and Lewis Riddick likes that stat because he does not like Howie Roseman. And, right. and that's, that's the reality is that Roseman has struggled to bring young talent into the building. And so you can work in veteran free agent additions and developmental young talent as long as, A, you got a good – medical staff that will keep those veterans healthy and b you've got a good developmental coaching staff that will get those rookies ready to play over one to two years the eagles had neither so it was it was held together with a lot of onlys and buts and when you you know that's just candies and nuts right that falls apart pretty quickly and so a lot of it looked good on paper i agree but you you you, you miss out on some of the extraneous stuff and it starts to build up and then the house of cards comes tumbling down in 2020 i think i'm guilty of maybe liking the drafts more than i should have but the my one of my draft axioms so to speak of that i think we all agree with this draft more of course and when you right. do look at 18 and 19 bringing in 10 players over two years is is what you're describing right now and right. I th there's so many examples through the years 
if you just take a team and you reverse two or three years and say how many just how many picks did you have and in a draft where you're allotted 21 did you bring in 21 did you bring in 30 or did you bring in you know 15 Mm -hmm. um and just using over the last two years the fact that the eagles have uh, in 18 and 19 that they brought in 10 players just 10 guys got brought in and then you know there's they should be in years two and three and you don't have the depth you can literally go back to just how many how many lottery tickets did you have so i think there is an element to the and they did a better job last year 2020 you may you pay dividends maybe in a couple years Mm -hmm. here when you have more volume but i think that's an interesting part too is that part of that win now strategy that you're talking about they won in 17 and then in 18 and 19 you only draft 10 times yeah explicitly at the combine roseman was asked trading up and he said we we got 10 picks we want 10 picks we have we made 10 picks over the last two years we we need these swings at the bat right and and it's directly to that point he acknowledged it as we view our windows as four years you know 17 to 2020 four-year windows we need to start getting young players in and kind of recycle this and that's what's very attractive about roseman as a general manager the acknowledgement of windows is very important you know philadelphia fans are understandably frustrated with roseman right now but the Bears and the Texans still aren't making, you know, a lot of picks. And it's because some of the issues acknowledging their windows as a team, right? And so that acknowledgement of windows is very valuable. And so he really wanted those 10 picks. Again, you cycle back to identifying talent. And you look at a team in desperate need of wide receiver with Jalen Rager, John Hightower, and Quez Watkins all offering about four touches a game combined. And most of that's coming from Rager. But they wanted uh, to get faster. They What's wanted that? to get. Fa- they wanted speed. They said they wanted to get faster yeah, this offseason. So we're gonna get speed, and then it turns out those guys aren't good at the catch point. And it's like, well, that's some of these are the trade offs, you know. And so the the talent evaluation and being able to get the good players in. I mean, that the Rager Jefferson pick is gonna get looked at like Brandon Graham, Earl Thomas did for years, man, yeah. for years. Eagles fans already can't deal with it. <laughs> but Brandon Graham's awesome, so yeah, that's fine. right, exactly. We got there with Graham. Yeah, Rager Jefferson's scary. Where so I'm I'm in good standing with Bills Mafia now since I signed the apology form. Steve nice. ripped up the apology form and may well get his tire slashed on the way back to Boston. Where, where are you with Bills Mafia? Are you in good standing or are you on the hate list? No, see that's the thing is I'm very quiet. I don't say anything. <laughs> I had Josh Allen ranked lower than any of y'all there you draft. Go. <laughs> I just didn't, didn't mention it. We had him as a first a rounder still. Yeah. Right, still, that was still, the first. still wasn't good enough. Um, yeah, no, I I for me. Allen being good is tremendously fun, not only for all the trauma that it causes and, and you know, the, the referendums, but also, like, he was undoubtedly wickedly talented. It was just, like, talking about getting Wentz better. There was a very narrow path in which Allen was going to end up like this. And that's that's a, a difficult thing to talk about with a fan base who's currently enjoying him being good and believed right. he would be good because he's their quarterback. But this was a narrow path, right? When you looked at historically what Allen did in college to what he's doing now in the pros, it was going to be very difficult. So, for me... Uh, I didn't view Allen as a good bet. I still don't view Allen as a good bet for the information we had at the time was tremendous kudos to Allen, Brian Dabble, Brandon B, like just excellent uh, infrastructure in Buffalo. They did a great job. And with Bill's Mafia, I mean, Bill's Mafia and, and Eagles fans, distant cousins, you know, if, if they weren't putting guys through tables, we would have thought of it a little bit later. So I, I feel kinship with them. Would you rather have Josh Allen or Carson Wentz? Oh, Allen. I mean, uh, there's a... Uh, uh, a year ago, we, we talked about Allen and Wentz as players of, uh, of similar molds, though perhaps on different trajectories, in the sense that, listen, they were going to make plays. And sometimes that was going to go really, really badly for you, right? We talk about uh, the 
accepted risk of holding on to the football, right, for more than 2.5 seconds. Like, PFF loves to talk about time in the pocket and how that affects quarterback's play. Allen and Wentz, big bodies, big arms, never think a play is dead in the water. And with Allen, over the first couple years of his career, you were looking at a player who turned out a lot more poor plays than good plays when he was electing to extend. Wentz was largely better, though he was a little bit kind of 50-50. Narrative changed a little bit this year. But it's funny to think about how Eagles fans viewed Allen two years ago versus how they view Wentz now because they make some similar mistakes. That that whole uh, quarterback class has been fascinating over their first few years, right? Because obviously yeah. you've got the... Josh Rosen just bombed out of the league almost instantly. Um, Sam Darnold been in a terrible situation and mono and various other complicating factors and looks like the next one that's got no shot going forward, at least not without a hard reset and a time at somebody's backup. Then you've got the Josh Allen thing, which was like two years of what we kind of expected from Josh Allen. And then suddenly this resurgence that nobody really saw coming outside of Buffalo. Evan ba Silva, how dare you? <laughs> True. <laughs> right. Baker Evan. Mayfield who was like rookie of the year level right out of the gate coming off the back of the you know the incredible college performance that we'd seen and graded then went backwards in a major way and actually is maybe an example of one of those quarterbacks we talked before who was pretty seriously broken and has started to piece the piece things back together at least is heading in that direction now instead of the other way and then Lamar Jackson who pretty low starting point in terms of accuracy in terms of what you could expect of a pa as a passer became mvp last year and is now somewhere in the middle uh this season what do you make of that entire group going forward uh, as bill in terms of the entertainment right i mean this was <laughs> all right this is going to be one of the best quarterback classes we've had and certainly you know you've got three potential playoff quarterbacks there and you had also you know some pretty significant flame outs and on the entertainment spectrum both do well for you even though they're not maybe good for fan bases uh right coming out i had rosen and lamar as the top tier uh i had baker as right. like a 1b and then i had donald and allen uh significantly lower they, that's a good lesson on what has become a reality of quarterback play, I think, in the league now, which is you got to be able to create outside of structure, right? That was Rosen's great weakness. It was, all right, just put Rosen in a good offense. He's going to execute, and it's going to be great. It turns out great offenses week to week, unless you're Kyle Shanahan, tough ask. You know what I mean? It's very difficult. Yeah. You need to be able to create outside of structure. Then you look at a player like Darnold, who was, oh, he creates so well outside of structure. Yeah, what happens snap to snap? Because sometimes the ball's not getting where it belongs on time, you know, and, and he's putting himself outside of structure despite the fact that he's got good opportunities on his first read. And so that balance, that interchange, which, you know, we've had so many good pocket passers over the last 10, 15 years. You look at that 04 class, right? You look at Brady, uh, Roethlisberger, Rivers, uh, Manning, and you look at how they won, what that archetype was. Certainly, you know, with, with Roethlisberger, you had the, the tackle breaking and the sack withstanding and whatnot. That mold led us down a path when we we're talking about evaluating prospects. It's always the case, right? Now you want hybrid linebackers and hybrid safeties and so on and so forth. So that mold took us down a path. And I think now we're, we're coming to realize more so the value of that mobile quarterback, especially as those players are recruited and developed in college. Um, but so that, that class is as built, right? I mean, it's as entertaining as they come. Lamar, Allen, and hopefully Baker across the next 10 years is going to be a good time. Um, but development is tough, man. It's like Mark Schofield of the Touchdown Wire always says, it's, development's not linear. And that's the important thing to remember. Like when right. we see that up and down, you know, year to year, he's MVP, he's not, he was good, he was rookie of the year, now he's bad. 
man, it's a quick league and a lot changes. And so development's very tough to keep on a steady line. Mark's right. I say that same thing. Or else Wentz, Wentz would be Patrick Mahomes by this point after what he right, did in exactly. year two. exactly, yeah. You'd and, see Wentz in his second year and go, sweet, we're good. And that's why the Josh Allen thing. That's why you're going to get firebombed by Bill's Mafia. That's why home. I'm not signing the apology form because <laughs> it's very linear for Josh Allen. And we'll see if he can keep that up. Anyway, let's wrap it up with this before Sam asks a very personal question. Biggest success or worst whiff as a draft analyst? Oh, too many on the whiff thing. Success is not as, easy, it's not as difficult. Um, I'm very tempted to say Corey Davis, mostly because he's been good this year, and I'm so happy about it. That's my a big guy. success. It's my guy. Uh, I watched Corey Davis, Western Michigan, in the snow against Buffalo, come out in short sleeves, and I said, yeah, this is the greatest prospect I've ever seen, period. Like, it was just we got to the same good. conclusion, just different ways. Yeah. You went yeah. with sleeveless in the snow. I went with, you know, he's just going to get open a lot, but that's cool. <laughs> yeah. No, he, he's a lot of fun. Um, but I had Godwin ranked highly in that class. I had Godwin above uh, John Ross and Juju Smith-Schuster. I had him as, as wide receiver three behind Davis and Williams. And Godwin was one of those prospects who wasn't, like, overtly productive at Penn State. He was good. But then you watched his film and you sat down to write what he was bad at. And you just couldn't come up with anything. So, yeah, that's good. He, right. He's, I mean, he's, he's a nuts athlete. He's a great blocker. He's all three levels, ball tracking, toughness. Like he was just so excellent, right? He goes in the third round to, to Tampa and just kind of sits there for a year. And all of a sudden we turn around and we're like, oh, a thousand yard receiver. Whoops. Like when did this happen? You know, he's just so steady. So Godwin was a good one. Oh man. I was, I was really high on JJ Ortega Whiteside who always sticks out to me uh, because of he went to Philadelphia and immediately caught four footballs in one season. And then that was just it. And it was like, all right, that's not great. Uh, so he, he was a pretty big miss for me. Oh man. Same. I was well. I was low on Marquise yeah. Brown and Nikhil Harry in that 2019 wide receiver class, though. And you don't want to take pride in being low yeah. on guys who didn't end up maybe hitting as well as they should have. But they were deserved suspicion coming out, and I, they were given a lot of run. And those are the two first round receivers, an otherwise tremendous class, and both of them have kind of struggled so far. So they they were tricky evals. Harry especially, yeah, yeah, that Your guy. Too. That was the one where the red flags were. I mean you watch them play and you're like this guy doesn't separate ever and then at some point i went through every single one of his targets in his final two years i think and you're like he's got like four plays that weren't like schemed open where right. he actually separated right. from a defensive back in the pac-12 where they don't play defense like <laughs> that's just not going to work in the nfl right yeah harry's not a big surprise i don't think so with you there um we're contractually obliged to ask you what you would like to be when you grow up um given <laughs> Given you, <laughs> I'm just saying. Oh man, um, it's uh, your, your job, Sam. Ideally, that's what I'm coming for. Oh, I'm sweet. For that okay, that's perfect because I'm over the hill at this point. I've got a bunch of fan bases willing to write me off. You can have this chair anytime. Sam, don't don't make the youth jokes with him. No, I, I get height jokes all the time. It just gets old. It gets old. We just it don't does, it. but at least like I'll say something and I'll expect it, and so I don't feel it anymore. Like if you didn't know what direction they were coming from, you'd be like, "Oh no, I'm gonna get made fun of. What's gonna happen?" Now it's just like, "All right, like I'm gonna be in a video. And he, people are gonna be like, hey, how's yeah. high school algebra going?'" He's numb like, to it, that's great. dude. And so people people still get like you know like creative with it, which is good. yeah. Well, so what what's always interesting to me is why the number used is always twelve. Because our guy, Anthony Tresh, gets the same thing, right? You two both look extremely young for your age. And he, we used to do these, um, uh, what are they called? Three high safeties videos where Tresh would be part of one every week. And like mm -hmm. the first comment, every single week his video went out was like, who's the 12-year-old? Why, why is it always a 12-year-old? I don't know. I mean, puberty it's, it's, time. 
oldest teen word that doesn't have teen. Like, that's all I got for you. You know what I mean? It feels smaller than it is. I, like, yeah, it's been forever. It'll be forever, right? Like, I'll just be doing this, you know, for the next 10 years. I'll be a professional, hopefully, at some point. Eventually, and it'll swing it, back it in your direction. Like, hey, what's it like to be in high school? Like, yeah. Eventually, stuff, it's going to swing back your way, though, right? You're going to be like 45 years old and look 27. Everyone's going to think yeah. you're great. There you go. That's what everybody tells me. But also, nobody, like, I'll also be 45. So I'll feel horrible. My <laughs> jo- my joints will ache. You know what I mean? I'll be able to eat things. Like, that's what everybody tells me. And so, all right, cool. I'll look young. But on also, the outside, you look great. Yeah. God, we're 45. Exactly. So I, I prefer the advantages now. Like, uh, growing a beard in the winter would be kind of fun. <sighs> we're 45 in a few years, Sam. So we'll let you know in a that. few years when we get to that point. Benjamin Solak, Bleeding Green, and the Draft Network, the uh, senior and high school writer at Draft, the Draft Network. Is that right? Is that your official? Uh, senior official? college football writer. We ain't evaluating high school yet. Se- no, you're, <laughs> you're in high school. A, him that, making an age oh, joke. senior that was in me. high school. Uh-oh, man, that was I missed me, it. Right he's screwing the up the too. joke. Mine no, was better. Bringing a ton of knowledge to the table, so appreciate that. Go check, all, check out all the work, Bleeding Green, and the Draft Network. Anything else you want to plug for our millions of listeners here? I don't know. I mean, I'm very, very pleased to follow up Adam Schefter and Amy Trask. I feel like that's a natural progression, yep, right? Yep. You go NFL yeah. national reporter, uh, Raider CEO, kid. You're getting better <laughs> week after week. Natural follow up. We like to mix. Well, progression isn't linear, as they say. Yeah, they, so. you know, it's not linear. There you go. <laughs> Thank you, Benjamin. Appreciate it. We'll do it again sometime. Of course. You'd be well, fellas. Thank you.